0: Vitamin C at low doses is an antioxidant. Anything more than that, it becomes a pro-oxidant. Is stress good or bad for us? A little stress is always good for a human being because it makes you more resilient. Stress is not a bad thing. Chronic stress is a bad thing. If I can give you the glutathione in the ready-to-use format, the results should be instantaneous. When you get sunburned, as soon as you apply the glutathione, the pain goes away within seconds. It's quenching all the free radicals immediately.
1: Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do it. Welcome back to
2: the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. Oh my goodness, friends. Today's episode is one that has truly affected my daily life, as in every single day. Ever since reading The Glutathione Revolution, I have a complete new appreciation of glutathione. I already knew it was important, but now I'm just realizing how important it is and how I want to actively work to keep my glutathione levels up every single day. And I'm realizing the importance of how you take it, which is basically just this one spray supplemental form. I've been using it every single day. definitely sold on the science of it. And I definitely encourage you guys to look into both supporting your natural glutathione production through diet and lifestyle, as well as supplemental glutathione, if that's something that speaks to you. And I am so, so thrilled to have a discount for you guys. They said they rarely do discounts. So definitely use this. You can go to melanieavalon.com RO. That's A-U-R-O. And use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 5% off site-wide. So that's Melanie. Avalon.com slash R O A U R O with the coupon code MelanieAvalon to get 5% off site wide. I will put all of this information in the show notes. The show notes will be at Melanieavalon.com slash glutathione. That's G-L-U-T A T H I O N E. Those show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then check out my Instagram, find the Friday announcement post there. And again, comment to enter to win something that I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really wanna bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just wanna break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is MelanieAvalonOfficial. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay friends, spirulina update, it is still coming. I know it's been taking a while, it's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source, it tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you are currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code Melanie Avalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text Avalon X to 877-861-8318. That's Avalon X to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash MDLogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. on a mission to change this every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work i am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel their vitamin c serum they have shampoo and conditioner skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all Beauty Counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall 20 to get 20% off sitewide. and they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out.
1: All right, without further ado, please enjoy the show.
2: Hi friends, welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. The backstory about today's conversation, it is about a topic that I personally have been wanting to do a deep dive into. It was literally on my list of topics to have a show about, and that is glutathione. And when this incredible author, his team reached out to me about his book, The Glutathione Revolution, Fight Disease, Slow Aging, and Increase Energy, I was so excited. And I was also really hopeful that when I read the book that it was going to really deliver on everything that I wanted, which would be, you know, a deepest of deep dives into the science. And it was that, oh my goodness, before reading the book, I was pretty much sold on the importance of glutathione. But after reading it, I just feel like everybody needs to know about this. (laughs) So I have so many questions today. He's actually a fellow Trojan. We just realized we both went to USC and he now teaches at USC. I am here with Dr. Nayan Patel. He is a pharmacist, a health expert, and a thought leader in the industry. And like I said, the author of The Glutathione Revolution. So Dr. Patel, thank you so much for being here.
0: Absolutely. It was my pleasure to be here today.
2: I have just so many questions for you. But to start things off, what is your personal story? When you were growing up, did you anticipate being the glutathione guy? Like, What led to that? Did you just have an epiphany one day? I mean, why are you doing what you're doing today with glutathione?
0: It, no, I did not grow up being a glutathione guy. I grew up as as every kid uh, out there, to, a male kid, I wanted to be an engineer and be in aerospace engineering and and seeing the world from the outer space. That was my that was my childhood dream when I when I was probably six, seven years old. Of course, that, that did not pan out that way, but it started off being a pharmacist in the mid-90s. And that's when it started the revolution of, of insurance companies dictating what we are gonna be having for our healthcare for fellow Americans. And I saw very early on that this is not the path I want to be in because the insurance company is not going to give us the right option. They're going to give us the cheapest option. And so I started researching. I went into compounding and started researching on my own, trying to figure out better and different ways to, to heal the human body other than the medications that we already have today. And so, all as I say, the all-road leads to Rome, Everything led to me to glutathione early on, and of course, it was the hardest thing to work on. It's been out in the market for decades, you know, multiple decades, and nobody has figured out how to actually deliver to the human body. Forget delivering; they don't even figure out how to stabilize in the first place. And so, I had a big hill to cross. And. I started off with been stabilizing the glutathione and then later on delivering how to deliver to the human body. But anyways, my whole focus started early on in my career to focus on that because that I thought was going to help me address a lot of the common issues that we have today.
2: Are any of the astronauts using glutathione?
0: <laughs> I hope so because it, it's we all do, right? We all travel in this aluminum chute we call the plane across the world and this aluminum shoots is not made up of lead unfortunately so it's not blocking any of the cosmic rays and so when we are flying 30,000 feet above ab- above the ground we don't have any layers to protect us from the cosmic rays so your body's constantly being bombarded with this toxic rays that your b- body has to clean up one day, right? And so I hope the astronauts are using this product, but if they are not using the, or not optimizing glutathione level, they should.
2: Do you know if they've done studies just with like normal planes, people before and after a plane trip, the effect on their antioxidant
1: status?
0: No, I have not re- heard about that one yet, sorry. But it just makes sense because we, he- we hear all about the ozone layers and we are going about the layers to, to go across the world. So in theory, it makes sense, but I'm I'm sure there's there must be some research out there.
2: Well, okay, so many other questions. One, one more question about your personal story. And I hope this isn't a controversial question, but when I hear pharmacists, oh, I don't think I've ever interviewed a pharmacist, by the way, but when I hear the term pharmacist, I get a feeling of the pharmaceutical industry and sort of a lot of the issues that you just spoke about kind of fighting against. What is your experience being a pharmacist? I just feel like you have a different end goal than maybe, I don't want to make an assumption, but how do you relate to your colleagues? Like, do you find that the way you're approaching this is typical or is it kind of diverging from the norm?
0: it is absolutely the complete opposite on what everybody else is doing. And when I talk to my fellow pharmacists, my colleagues, it's like they think I'm in a different world altogether because they don't comprehend what I'm trying to achieve. Their focus is disease management. I said, hey, you have a problem, we'll manage your problem for you. And I'm going the other way, I said, no, you have a problem, let me help you get rid of the problem. And that's a whole different mentality. Managing is relatively easy in the sense that you have tools to basically stay in in equilibrium or stay stay focused. But when you have to get rid of the problem, it requires an entirely different mindset. And so, when I talk to my friends, it's it's really really difficult. And and as you might have guessed right now, but I have very few friends left because I can't communicate. <laughs>
2: Wow. That's crazy. A personal related question. You do talk in the book about how you found your, you know, your perfect partner and creating your line. I just thought that was so cool because I, I recently partnered up with somebody to create a product. And I just really, it can be really magical to find that person who really understands. Are you still working with him?
0: Absolutely. He, he was at the USC Keck School of Medicine in the, in the research department with us. When I was going to school and so when I graduated, I just called him up. I said, you got to join us because we got a lot more work to do. And he was about to retire from USC. I said, retirement? Come on. Let me retire is if you're ready to give in, you know. You don't have to give in. You have a lot more to offer. And so I was doing the thinking process. He was doing big, going back in the lab and helping me do all the, the, the physical work that requires to develop a product. And then once the product was developed, he thought his job was done because hey, here's the product. Now you deal with it. I said no, that's just half, less than half the problem. The other part of the problem is developing into a product that can actually deliver to the human beings, and then figure out what the results are going to be and how we're going to use it in the clinical setting. And I mean, there's a lot more work done after that. And so no, he's still with me even today. date. we're still here in this building with me.
2: Awesome. 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 Okay. So questions about the science of everything going on here, and I'm trying to figure out how to approach the topic, but maybe we can start with just the concept of oxidative stress in the body and free radicals. And so what is happening? What is oxidative stress?
0: Okay. So let me put it this way. First of all, is stress good or bad for us? I always believe a little stress is always good for a human being because it makes you more resilient. And so stress is not a bad thing. Chronic stress is a bad thing. It's I always I when I talk to my patients, and I do see patients every day. So when I talk to my patients, I always give them an example. If a dog's chasing you, your body is under stress and it doesn't have no time to think about it. Only th- only thing you can do is run your pupils get dilated so you can see every single thing everything is super hyper focused to get rid of the dog that's chasing you well in the dog found a bone and left you alone or you are you you able to dodge the dog and you found a place and the, and the and literally the stress goes away once the dog stopped chasing you right but the dog in our life today is this chronic stress the traffic the pollution the the toxicities in the environment, the uh, chronic burden that we have with financial stress and social stress, and you know now for the last two and a half years, three years, we have this disease stress that we have been in, in intense amount. All this chronic stress is not good for us. So what what happens is that this this chronic stress is actually increasing oxidation in your body. It's like if you want to see a visual picture. It's like you're putting a bunch of nails in the water and then instead of taking out and drying the nails, these nails are staying inside the water and you can see the rust happening on the nails right before your eyes. And so chronic stress is actually what's doing inside our body is rusting your body from inside. And it can do it multiple different ways. One is the major source is the oxidation because we breathe every single day oxygen is, is a lifeline for us but you have to get rid of all the remaining oxygen and that's why the lungs comes in very handy to make sure that you're breathing correctly and then oxygen gets used up the carbon dioxide gets gets expelled and any any oxygen that's left over oxygen is, is a reactive species it's we call it reactive oxidative, oxidative species ros and those species in the, in your body can cause haywak and that's what we're trying to avoid. And when the end, the, the end thing, when all the oxidative stress, all, all the oxidative species increases in your body, you can loosely turn oxidative stress. But what it's really doing is that it's affecting your organs and your ability to function normally.
2: Does that oxidative stress, you spoke about the rust, like could we see it if we looked inside? Would it literally look like rust?
0: If you see, well, the thing is, what you do see is you do see those spots. Now, you do see on your skin the eight spots, right? That's Your body is eventually rusting up and coming up on the surface, right? And so you do eight spots. We call them eight spots. We call them liver spots. And those are the physical signs. Those are the oxidized species that are actually surfacing on your skin. The same thing can, can also be inside your bodies. And yes, you can see those rust inside your body.
2: And so how does the body mitigate that damage what is the role of free radicals and what's the role of antioxidants and in particular exogenous versus endogenous
0: yeah so this is this this is a great question because people always think about we want to solve a problem with exogenous supplementation So everything that we do, oh, if we have oxidative species, let's bring some oranges, take some vitamin C, take some vitamin E, and so on and so forth, coenzyme Q10. There's so many different products out there to help you to reduce that oxidative stress or reduce the oxidations or or in other terms that you take a bunch of antioxidants to help reduce oxidation. So that's all exogenous sources but your body produces endogenously glutathione to deal with the same problem, right? Only thing that you need is all the substrate it requires to produce the glutathione. i.e., there are three different amino acids, glutamine, glycine, and cysteine, two enzymes, and a catalyst like selenium to have this reaction happen to produce glutathione, And that's the endogenous source of, of, of antioxidant that the body produces to help with the excess oxygen species that we get from outside sources. exogenous sources are good, but there are always limitations.
2: So to further clarify there, so glutathione on the one hand, and then antioxidants that we think of like vitamin C, vitamin E, all these quote vitamins, for both of those two categories, can both of them be endogenous and exogenous?
0: Our body does not produce vitamin C at all. So it can only be from exogenous sources.
2: What about the other ones like vitamin E and CoQ10 and things like that?
0: So vitamin E is, is extracted from the diet that we eat. So that's also exogenous sources. The CoQ10 is found intracellularly. So that is, that is probably getting produced inside the humans. But keep in mind, you cannot take exogenous source of CoQ10 and get into intracellular levels. Same thing with the glutathione. You cannot take glutathione from outside and get into intracellular levels until now. So that was, that's, that's the technology that we have created. But all this for, for the last 100 years, we have the glutathione. We have the exogenous source of all these nutrients, but it cannot penetrate intracellularly.
2: Why do you think we lost the ability to synthesize vitamin C as a species?
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, humans are not produce vitamin C like other mammals do, right?
2: Why do you think we don't have that ability?
0: I have again. This is an assumption for me because I, I do not know the real answer for that. I'm assuming that our body is produced abundantly glutathione. I mean, we have second most abundant molecule in body next to water is glutathione there is no need for us to have vitamin C in there when we have so much glutathione that we can have in our body.
2: I read that in your book about being the second most abundant next to water. And so I don't know the total amount of molecules total in the body. So it's hard for me to get a picture of what that even looks like. Like, I mean, does that mean we're just saturated in glutathione or just compared to all the other molecules, it's the second most abundant? Yeah,
0: it's just comparatively Compared to every single thing out there, glutathione is the most abundant molecule in your body. And that has to do with how much our needs are. Our needs for glutathione is far more than just the antioxidant effect.
2: So if we have some oxidative stress and free radicals, what is the difference in how something that people would think about like vitamin C mitigating that or neutralizing that free radical compared to glutathione. Like how do they compare?
0: Okay. So this is this is my theory at this point. I don't have something to back it up yet. I do have some, some anecdotal work that I can present to you. One thing is vitamin C, if you look at all the literature, they'll tell you vitamin C at low doses, that, that means about 10 grams or less per day is an antioxidant. Anything more than that it becomes a pro-oxidant. Chemically, I cannot believe the vitamin C has a redox properties that at low doses in the body has an antioxidant effect and high doses, it becomes a pro-oxidant effect. That's why they they use vitamin C IV drips at high doses to treat patients with cancer. And so the high dose vitamin C is a pro-oxidant. And so This is my theory, and I think I can back it up pretty well, is that at low oxidants, what's vitamin C actually doing is it's reviving oxidized glutathione inside your body. So GSH is the abbreviation of glutathione. GSH, when it gets oxidized, becomes GS molecule, the two GS molecules comes together and make, and make, becomes GSSG molecule. GSSG molecule is oxidized glutathione, is stable, and it revolves around in, in your body, and you can easily measure that in your blood uh, with a simple blood test. So that, that part is easy to measure. But this GSSG molecule can again revive itself and become GSH again by accepting electrons from vitamin C, and so, so we assuming, and I'm, I think I can pretty make a pretty darn good case that at low doses, this vitamin C is actually what is doing is giving the energy back to the glutathione, and is reviving itself. It's those uh, I, I, when I play video games with my kids, the kids goes, "Daddy, daddy, come on, come on, give me that the jump, right? Because I'm dying." And so they get this jump, and and the and the person revives in the video games. Same thing in, in the human body. We, ha- we have all this glutathione, oxides glutathione in your body. And instead of using outside, uh, you, instead of using your own body's energy, it's getting energy from vitamin C to revive itself.
2: If it's going from GSAs to GSSG back to GSH, is it taking a hydrogen from the antioxidants?
0: Yes, exactly.
2: Okay. Or where else could it get a hydrogen from? i mean a, any
0: of the antioxidants right so vitamin e has that uh, similar components a lot of amino acids have that too the the low grades available all the time vitamin c is by far the cheapest and the most popular one because there's a lot of different places you can get vitamin c from
2: and so that whole process of so gsh being the quote active form that can you know do the benefits that we want and then this stable neutral GSSG form that is sort of inactive, it sounds like, and then back to GSH. So that whole process, practically and realistically, like how fast is that happening? Is there a central mechanism in the body that's determining like how much that's happening, or is it on a case-by-case basis?
0: I think it's happening pretty fast because the glutine molecule, the, the simplest term I can exa- uh, give an example is that let's say if you get sunburned. When you get sunburned, you're your skin is very hard to touch and you you feel the pain, as soon as you apply the glutathione, the pain goes away within seconds, right? And when that that pain goes away within seconds, there's two things happening. One, the absorption is pretty good. The second part is is quenching all the free radicals immediately. If on the sunburn, if you apply vitamin C, oh my goodness, you'll burn. That'll hurt. Oh my gosh, right? Just imagine if you're applying vitamin C on a burn, sunburn victim. Oh my goodness! You probably they'll probably scream at you, right? But yet, if you apply glutathione within seconds, the pain is completely gone. And if you keep on applying every every few hours, within a couple of days, the healing process starts really, really fast. All that excess glutathione that is applied comes into GSSG molecule. Now, if you apply the vitamin C some other parts of the body, or just take oral capsules of vitamin C, it will help revive those glutathione back into GSH molecule.
2: Okay, wow, gotcha. So when you, well, I guess we need need to discuss the actual avenues. So historically, what have been the avenues for people trying to supplement glutathione? I mean, I'm sure people are pretty familiar with IVs. I know a place I go, they do intramuscular shots. There's been oral... What happens in those different avenues?
0: So there's so you, you you mentioned a few of them, right? Oral capsules. There's oral liposomal technology, liquid that people drink up. There's an intravenous form of glutathione that people have it. Then there's all these lotions and soaps, and I mean, the rest of the world has a lot of different products of glutathione. That those all those molecules. There's this few things that we have to worry about first glutathione is is actually a protein it's a three amino acid protein which is one of the smallest protein When when people think about protein people think about large proteins that are anywhere from 100 to, 100 to even and more amino acids linked together to make a larger protein but this is a very small tripeptide protein but when you take the protein by mouth the body actually breaks it down into various amino acids and then there's takes amino acids and use up to as, as building blocks. So there's a study done at, at, at Texas University in 2010 where they took some patients and they gave them these oral capsules as well as oral liposomal form because they, th- they think the liposomal form is more stable, so it bypasses the stomach and, and so it goes in the intestine and gets absorbed over there. Regardless of where it gets absorbed, the body breaks it down into various amino acids. So there was zero increase immediately into the red blood cells when when they consume oral glutathione. So when you do IV glutathione, and this was something that was done in 1990s, early 90s, 1991, 1992, I believe so. There's a couple of scientists that did a study. What they did was they infused two grams of intravenous glutathione, and then they were measuring the blood levels. Of course, what's your first thing that you think about? If you're infusing the blood, it's going to be hundred percent the blood, which is true, right? It, it just it happens in the blood, but then they took one step further and they measured the RBC levels of glutathione, and it was zero. So what that told us that all the glutathione is went into the bloodstream, end up in the plasma, but never end up in the red blood cells. So that showed us one thing is that the, once the molecule is large enough, and it gets outside the cell, it cannot go back inside the cell. It's having a baby. Once the baby comes out, it can all go back in.
1: So that
2: process of taking it in orally, and so if you take it in in its normal form, or, like you said, a liposome, which in theory is supposed to protect it from being broken down, and in theory, it would have you know stayed the same it gets broken down anyways. So when it's broken down into those building blocks, would the body, since it's like the perfect recipe for glutathione, automatically try to make it back into glutathione? Or would it just be these random building blocks and it doesn't really inform the body to make glutathione from it? It just might happen to.
0: Absolutely. So that, that's that's a great question, in fact, because you assume just because you give a glutathione there is a chip that tells the body that, hey, I'm giving you glutathione. I know you're going to break it down, but please put it back together. Yeah, and the answer is no.
2: Okay, okay. That's so interesting.
0: Yeah, so you can get, in fact, better results by just consuming amino acids. And that's why FDA has actually approved N-acetylcysteine as a medication to improve glutathione levels.
2: What are the three amino acids in glutathione?
0: Cysteine, glycine, and glutamine. Cysteine is the one that is not abundantly found in human bodies or or in your diet.
2: Okay, gotcha. I mean, does this apply to a lot of things where we take them in and we assume, where they would get broken down and we would just assume that they would get rebuilt into the same thing?
0: Well, yeah, for the proteins, yes. 2022, this year, the biggest push is to people are using... All kinds of peptides. They have peptides in the skin care, peptides in injections, peptides in oral capsules. Oh my God, peptides all over the place, right? Similarly, peptides have, have a similar issue as well because peptides' body uses amino acids, acids, acids as a protein and will try to break it down. And so the synthetic peptides that we do consume orally, there are, there are prescription drugs out there, which are synthetic peptides the body cannot sense them. And so it's hard to break those things down. And the absorption is also very, very limited because these are large molecules and the body cannot absorb this large molecule pretty fast or, or even readily.
2: The body doesn't even really detect them. So are they used?
0: They are, they are currently used as a, as a prescription drugs, yes.
2: I'm sorry, I mean, does the body use them in their original purpose?
0: So the peptides that are commercially available, the synthetic forms of peptides, they are they are like a signals. They are signaling the body to produce something. Versus when we take glutathione, we are actually giving them the real product they can use up today. Let, let me give you a simple example. Let's say you have a gun and you have two choices. If we either I give you bullets or I tell you a message that, hey, go in and save the bullets over there, right? Glutathione is giving you bullets. You're putting your guns and shoot them now. The synthetic form is giving you a message that hey, there's a bullets over there. Go get them yourself. So that is the somewhat difference, right? It's still you're still getting what you want. But what if if the messenger comes into play and there are no bullets in the safe left? Then you're in trouble. Then you're in trouble. So that's why when it comes to the glutathione. If I can give you the glutine in the ready-to-use format, that your body doesn't do anything whatsoever, and it's ready to use right now, the results should be instantaneous.
2: So going again with the gun analogy, if you're giving bullets, does the person stop like stockpiling bullets on their own because they're getting it? you know, just giving yourself glutathione stop your body's natural production?
0: So I get this question literally every single day. (laughs) Yes, every single day, because doctors, we think along negative feedbacks, right? Whatever we give you that your body produces, we give it to you, the body stops its own production. And it's true, it does stop its own production. But here's the caveat. We think stopping your own production is, is bad for you because then you're making your body lazy. Right, That's that's a common theme that we have amongst physicians, that we don't give anything that your body already produces because otherwise the body is dependent on what we give them outside sources and the body becomes lazy. It is true when you're dealing with hormones. It's true when you're dealing with pituitary hormones and hypothalamic hormones or the gonadal hormones, but it's not true when you're dealing with proteins. Because guess what? If the body needs to produce more proteins, it's going to produce regardless. If he already has it, it's not like the person is sitting idle and not doing anything else. He can use the same energy to do some other chemical reactions. And so it's not like the... It's like when you give... Like we, we always give steroids, right? To people that have, have inflammation. And when you give steroids, the, 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 your adrenal gland stops producing cortisol or the corticosteroids. And so the, temporarily, it's a good relief for the adrenal glands because the adrenal glands are all stressed out. And so if I give a short-term relief from not producing this product, I'm okay. But long-term use of steroids can diminish the ability to produce steroids for the rest of your life because the adrenal gland now shrinks up. If it shrinks up and it cannot produce any more, then we got a problem. Right? And so, but when it comes to the glutathione, it's producing in every cell intracellularly. If it doesn't use the energy to produce glutathione, it will use the same energy to produce something else.
2: Is it kind of like the difference between, so like the adrenal gland situation would be like if you had a person and you gave them lots of money and they just stopped getting a job and just stayed at home and then, you know, they were kind of helpless compared to the glutathione where giving somebody a lot of money and they use that money to like make more money and do lots of stuff and like, you know, they became more successful.
0: Yeah, so... Then, and I just correct: when you give money to somebody, it tells them that hey, you don't have to work, and here's the money to 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 live your daily life. And more than likely, we all know that they're not going to live long enough because the body does not is not going to be conducive for work for doing the work because it's not used to doing work. Versus when you give glutathione to somebody, is actually what it's doing is that it's not just giving you money to spend instead of giving you money is is basically loading up your bank deposits or loading up something else where it said, that, hey the money is there for you to use but you cannot spend it in your hands right now right if, if you want to spend it in your hands that's good enough but you but it's there plenty for it and, but now you have to go work for for for, uh, for using it up i'm not sure if that makes sense or not but i'm trying to give the same same example is because it's not the same Glu- giving glutathione to the body does not make the body lazy at all. In fact, it's, it's giving the ammunition to deal with the daily problems. And all the excess glutathione that your body takes is, is all the excess, you just it out. So let's see. you have a, do you have a monthly expenses of 5,000 bucks a month? And I give you $100,000 a month. So what happens is that 5,000, you'll use it up. 95,000, you just go dump it. it just goes away.
2: Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. You talk about the levels of glutathione as people age. So what is the likelihood that somebody would take glutathione and, and would have extra? Or do most people really need it?
0: Well, most people, after a certain age, like, and when I say certain age, I cannot give a definite answer, but my theory thinks that by 30, you need some sort of supplementation. By 40, you for sure need supplementation because your body's ability to produce glutathione reduces as you age, because keep in mind, it requires the three amino acids and the enzymes. And if you don't have if you have all the building blocks but no enzymes, your body cannot produce glutathione. And so as you age, the enzyme starts de- uh, depleting, your diet keeps on changing. And so, but our needs never reduces. In fact, our needs kept on increasing, right? As soon as you turn 21, only you can legally drink now. But they don't realize that, that alcohol is a solvent. That is toxic to the body, that the body has to neutralize it, conjugate with some glutathione and get rid of it. And so every time you drink alcohol, and physically, if you think about it visually, glutathione is actually conjugating this alcohol and getting rid of it. And if you don't have enough glutathione, guess what? That's when you have trouble drinking so much. The person that drank so much beers in the 20s, even if they drank two beers in their 50s, they're gonna have a hangover.
2: Can it ever be something like alcohol? And we could talk about like exercise. Could alcohol ever be a low enough dose that it has a hermetic effect, or is it always going to be a net loss? You think? So alcohol
0: is a, is a solvent, that, and it, that needs to get neutralized, anyways, right? So there's a very low dose of alcohol that your body can can basically use it up. But that's again, it that's a very low dose, right? If you just a, if you just drink a glass of wine every single day. It might be okay, but even those people, I have a lot of patients that they drink even just one one glass of wine per day and the ability to consume wine and still be able to function in the morning diminishes as they age. So even just one glass is probably not going to be, is probably going to be too much.
2: What about the oxidative stress of exercise, for example?
0: Yes. That's a great question, right? Because when you see athletes performing at the highest peak, you know, and if you look at the workout regimen they go through, oh, my gosh, it's 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 nuts, right? They work out two or three hours per day every single day, and they are super, super fit. And yet you work out for three hours in a day, and you are probably not getting out of the bed for a month. And so there's a difference. There's a huge difference. So it's working out any kind of strenuous exercise is producing intense amount of oxidative stress in your body, right? When those stress are, those, those have to be reduced down. So people will do cold plunges, right? Or they may do massage every single day, or they will just rest, or they will take some vitamins to reduce the lactic acid production that's already happening and, and things like that. But most of the athletes, when they do workout they have a full-on six- to eight-hour rest schedule for the same day. Versus average patient of mine, guess what? They work out in the morning, then they have to get up after the working out, make all the food for lunch and dinner, for breakfast and lunch for for the day, pack up the lunch, pack up the kids' lunch, and get in the car and go to work. Work, 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 come back home probably didn't have a chance to eat properly, come back home, and now you have to make dinner. I mean, it's, it's on the go, and then the only time you have to time to relax in the evening, you watch TV or do something that is not supposed to do, and now you, all of a sudden you can't sleep at nighttime because you're all wired up. And so sleep gets disturbed. You wake up in the morning, and the whole cycle starts again. There's no rest. There is no rest. And if there's no rest, then even a little bit of exercise is too much for you. So I always tell all my clients, and I have clients, both ends. I have Olympic athletes, Fortune 50 CEOs, and I have patients that are just average persons that are trying to make ends meet on a daily basis. And everybody has a different regimen. No matter who you are, I always recommend you only work out enough that your body can handle the oxidative stress. And typically that is 30 minutes or less.
2: And is that... Just for aerobic exercise or anaerobic as well?
0: Aerobic. So for the anaerobic, I can tell them that, hey, you can still go for another half an hour for more for that one. And it's start to build the muscle mass. But what you're really doing is you're, you're breaking your muscle fibers. And every time you break the muscle fibers, you're also creating lactic acids inside the muscles. And it can also increase oxidative stress. And so it is there. But... It's not that much compared to the aerobic. Because aerobic, you're breathing oxygen really heavily. You're breathing out carbon dioxide. And so the easier fuel to burn would be the oxygen. And so your body never get into this anaerobic state, so to speak, that is is very healthy for you. So, again, you just have to build up the tolerance for 30 minutes of workout every day and not have to get so much huffing and puffing every day.
2: People will talk about with exercise, not taking antioxidants because then you won't get this oxidative stress and then you won't get this, like the body, you know, rebounding and ultimately dealing better with oxidative stress in the future. So do you subscribe to that or should we be taking antioxidants and glutathione with exercise?
0: So I always tell all my athletes and we have, we have, I, I have patients that are in all the major league sports from NFL to MLBs to NBA and, and all the other sports as well that are played and even though these are athletes they, it's putting a toll on them so I always tell them that yes you exercise as hard as you want right? Then what they do is they go hit the cold plunge right? They put in the ice bath what's ice bath actually doing is actually promoting your production of glutathione as well.
2: So my daily cryotherapy
0: yeah, cryotherapy. So it's that's what it's doing anyways. And so, yes, you can put a cold plunge in there, and it has a lot of other anti-inflammatory effects as well, but that is not going to stop production of glutathione. Your body is going to produce a glutathione. And so, yes, you want to use a glutathione, but you want to use it after you exercise, not before. Because if the absorption is so fast, then you want to wait until you have the enough stress in your body to... To make a physical change in your body and then all the excess oxygen, I want to get rid of it. Because that's what that's what you're trying to do when you relax is trying to get rid of, rid of all this excess oxygen that has been created in, uh, in your body.
2: Does mental stress create free radicals or does it just contribute to the taxed state of the body in general?
0: It does create free radicals. So any stressors, any stressors will create free radicals. We have identified all the stressors we have physical stressors that you if you have infection or you you stab on a nail or you you put your thumb in a, in a door jam, you know, all kinds of things, right? That's one stressors. Then the second stressors are are environmental pollutions, sun, sunlight, they will create stressors. And then the chemical stressors, the 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 foods you eat and the pesticides that's, that's created from that one and the fertilizers they use in the food. And the last one is a mental stressors. So you have financial stress, social stress, relationship stress. So th- those are the kind of things that can also increase oxidative stress in your
2: body. Here's a very random question, and I don't know if you would know the answer to this, but when the glutathione deals with these free radicals and, and neutralizes them and creates water, is that hydrating? Like, is it a lot of water? Like, <laughs> does it have effect at all on hydration status?
0: No, it should not. It should not, because it does not create hydration status that much. You, gotta, you have to drink water for that one.
2: Okay, so you're speaking about all of these stressors with toxins and chemicals and things in our environment. How does glutathione deal differently with toxins versus free radicals?
0: So, yeah, so glutathione is, is the, probably the only molecule that we produce that does both. It reduces, it, give, it can give up an electron to neutralize a charged molecule, right? Oxygen is a charged molecule. It can give up the electron and neutralize the oxygen molecule and basically get rid of it. And that that molecule, the GSH molecule, becomes GS to GSSG eventually. It can also conjugate with chemicals and make it water soluble. And so you can pee it out and that process is a one way process once you conjugate with with uh, with a known chemical then you, it cannot revive itself again you just pee it just peed out so when you are dealing with lots of chemical exposure from either foods or, or environmental sources then your body has to produce a lot of glutathione because that it's it's a one way process only people with lots of heavy metal toxicities same thing People consume a lot of vitamins. I mean, I think US is probably the number one country in the world that's, that produces the most, that consumes the most amount of vitamins. And if you ask any pharmacist, I check every single day. My job is all the vitamins that we sell, or we also make products over here, is we check on the heavy metal content in every chemical, every chemical. And there is a limit on how much you can use. If you're taking it by mouth, any product that you take by mouth can have a lot more heavy metals than if you're doing the same exact chemical and you're using it topically or injecting it. Injections should be the bare minimum. It's still there. It is still there, but it's bare minimum. You're saying we should or should not do injections. No, no. What I'm saying is that the chemicals are tainted. All the chemical sources are tainted. Doesn't matter where they come from. There's a limit on how much how much heavy metals is going to be there. But heavy metals are going to be there all the time. All these metals, every single day that gets in your inside your body, your body has to clean up.
2: I just want to clarify because I get injection vitamins. Those are more likely or less likely to be intensely tainted?
0: Less likely. Less likely because the the limits on those injections in terms of the impurities is bare, bare, bare minimum. It has to be like 99% plus percent pure, ninety point nine percent pure, ninety point eight percent pure, something like ridiculous amount of purity needs to required. That's why the cost of the injections are very, very high compared to the same stuff you can take orally.
2: So I mean that's a bit of a shocker. So I mean I've been talking for so long about the importance of vetting the supplements that you're taking. And so it sounds like you could be doing a lot of damage if you're, you know, taking the wrong supplements
0: you can and uh, keep in mind for 20 plus years I've trained physicians all over the world on intravenous nutrient therapies there's a book that I have I, I wrote for physicians only Art and science of intravenous nutrient therapy and it's, it's a guide for the physicians to do IV therapies inside their office and I've trained thousands of doctors in my 20year career and how to do IV therapies and so, I I was a strong advocate for IV therapy. I'm still am, am today as well. And the chemical source is where I got all the information from as to how we can do a good job and have benefit to the patients without increasing toxicities.
2: Wow. And so if people are getting IVs at most places, are there really stringent criteria or should people be concerned with getting IVs?
0: The the criterias are are stringent, but at the same time, you still have to follow your due diligence to making sure that you're going to a reputated healthcare provider. Because keep in mind, there are not enough inspectors in this world to check up on every doctor that's giving IV therapies out there. The biggest thing that that the government did was they basically went after the makers of the injectable medication and made sure they were in proper compliance. And once that got into place, of course, the next goal would be to go after the providers and see if they're doing a good job mixing those vitamins together before injecting them.
2: So is it more likely, because I know there are a lot of like corporate type chains that you can go to, are those more likely to be because they're a corporate situation safer (laughs) than like a random person's office? Or is it really just a case by case basis?
0: It's a case by case basis. Everybody, I mean, when they're corporate offices, what they what they have in place is, is a good management structure. At the end of the day, it's the person that's making the bag for you is the most important person. You can have a thousand locations, but that one bad person that's making the bag is sloppy. Now, all of a sudden, you have a tainted bag. It doesn't matter how big the firm is, you get a tainted bag.
2: So, the person making the bag, like in the office, who gives you the IV, or the person who made the supply that was given to the office—the
0: person that makes the bag in the office. So, the doctor's offices will, will buy all the all the supplies from a drug manufacturer, and then they'll take all these vials, and then they take portion of all these vials and make, and make into a into an IV bag, and that bag gets infused. So, for all your listeners, one thing to remember is ask, ask, when was this bag made? If it's more than four hours, never infuse it.
2: Oh, okay. This is so good to know. Any other questions to ask? Is that the main question?
0: That's the main question I want to ask, is how when was the bag made? And so if it's more than four, I, I, I ideally like to infuse my bag within an hour of making the bag. But if it's within the four hours, I'm still okay with it, right? After four hours, I am very highly skeptic. So if, if your infusion is, let's say, two hours or an hour, then you will reduce the time by another half an hour or an hour, right? So let's say if your infusion rate is one hour for the, for the bag, then the bag has been made at least three hours before.
2: Does this apply as well to the like, sub-Q and intramuscular injections?
0: No, those are, those are instantaneous, right? They, they're dried up and they inject it. So there's no mixing going on. The only time you, you ask those questions is because there's a lot of chemicals being mixed into a bag before they infuse it to you. And the glutathione can never be in a bag ever. and can never be IM either. You cannot give a shot
2: in a butt of glutathione. It's acid. I've had intramuscular injections of glutathione.
0: I'm sorry. <laughs> there's no need for it. In fact, even the, we were the largest producer of intravenous glutathione in the country.
2: Of intravenous.
0: Of intravenous. And then we stopped it in 2019. And the reason is because in 2020, this book was published. And so, and, the, and the, once I know what I know, I could not see in my doctor's eye and tell them that, hey, this is a good product.
2: The half life or the effect of an IV glutathione that you know, you no longer do compared to, which we haven't even talked about your version of the spray. How long does that glutathione last in the system for both of those? And and what is your version? So
0: the intravenous form of glutathione. Again, back going back to the study that was done in 1990, 1991, I believe. So they showed that after two grams of intravenous IV uh, in intravenous glutathione. The half-life on average was about 14.1 minutes, plus or minus nine minutes. So as the best case scenario, it was in your body for 23 minutes. The worst case scenario, it was in your body for five minutes. And the reason is because nothing, not a single molecule of glutathione end up in the red blood cells. It was only in the plasma. And once it's in the plasma, it hits the kidney, the kidney just, just peed out. So in 30 minutes, you probably will have the most expensive urine you can ever have.
2: So in that situation, let's say that you are really in need of glutathione, let's say you're like just super hungover or something, would you get a benefit from that IV? Or is it literally just in and out, not even helping anything?
0: So it it does help for 14-15 minutes. So for so you give me an example of a hangover, right? hangover is basically, it's a neurotoxin that the alcohol dehydrogenase uh, the enzymes basically breaks out the alcohol into alcohol uh, metabolized acetaldehyde. And that acetaldehyde is neurotoxic. So that's where the headaches are coming from. So what glutathione does is it it helps metabolize the alcohol, but not the acetaldehyde. So even if you have let's see if if all your alcohol in the system is already been metabolized then you, my friend you're going to have a hangover for a long time right it's going to be a for the whole mornings or late afternoons or maybe the whole day it's it's going to be miserable but if you can reduce the alcohol itself then the like night after drinking then the next day when you do wake up the conversion to aldehyde is very very little and so you still have the buzz all night but you probably would not have any any headaches in the morning.
2: If you had a glutathione IV while drinking, you probably, I mean, <laughs> would not have too many negative side effects, or that would really help. I mean, I know that's not practical, but I'm just trying to understand like what's actually happening.
0: So I'm picturing myself at a bar, an IV pole, and and ordering my 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 favorite scotch. I said, hey. Can I have a couple of scotches? What is that? I said, well, just just making sure that anything I put inside is getting neutralized immediately. It doesn't help, right? Because people that drink alcohol are drinking for the the neurotoxin, right? The buzz.
2: Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So you wouldn't get tipsy, maybe?
0: Yeah, you, you, you might not. You might not. Or what I do see that happens is that now they consume more alcohol because they're looking for the buzz and they're not getting it yet. So eventually, eventually they're going to get it. Because keep in mind, an average time you spend drinking is not for 14, 15 minutes. It's hours.
2: I've actually thought about this before, and I don't know if this is going to sound <laughs> controversial too, but because people will say drink with food because you won't get the effects as much Basically, when I'm drinking, I actually like to have like a glass on an empty stomach because I get a bigger effect with less alcohol <laughs> rather than like if I had more alcohol, which I, maybe I shouldn't be saying this. But um, people saying like doing things to make you have less of the effects, then I think the effect might be you might just drink more. So it could be an issue.
0: One thing I did realize, that, at least you're a human being, that you do drink alcohol, right? So that's a good sign. We don't have to be buzz all the time, but at least you enjoy once in a while an adult beverage. That's that's not a bad thing. So eating foods, drinking water, all those things, what it does, it it dilutes the alcohol itself. When, it, when it's diluted a little bit, then the absorption gets slowed down a little bit, and the absorption gets slowed down a little bit, the liver has a has a higher chance on metabolizing it faster, right? And so if you put a whole bunch of I'll call it in your liver at once versus you give a small small dose over over half an hour the body the liver can work better and more efficiently if it gives you uh, over longer periods of time so all the all the thing that the water and food does while while you're drinking an adult beverage is slowing the absorption down so your body has a chance to basically recuperate faster
2: the way i like to approach it is just drink really slowly on an empty stomach <laughs> Rather than with food, but that's just me.
0: Yeah, so so you, so you enjoy for for so it's less alcohol. You'll never have hangover for sure because it's just one one glass. You you got your buzz that you're looking for, and you have delayed, uh, and you, it's for a long time. So if, if if a glass takes you maybe half an hour to an hour, that's even better because then guess what? That's just one drink. It's so much better.
2: Going back to the detox issue, so it sounds like glutathione use from free radicals and oxidative stress from exercise and damage and a lot of things that can contribute to that. I mean, not that that's good, but at least the glutathione can be recycled. But when it's detox, I mean, it's just used. So it sounds like exposure to toxins is really an issue.
0: Yes. And so in California, there was a study done. This was back in the 90s as well. And of course, that was done by the oil company because in California, we can stick it to the private industries to do all the work for them. And if oil company wants to sell, uh, produce oil in California, they do all the studies. And so they they studied I don't know, thousand cadavers, and they looked at all the tissues. Hundred percent, hundred percent of all cadavers' tissues was laced with pesticides, fertilizers, organic solvents, and and chemicals. I don't think so. There's nothing, anything you can do to avoid that. So we we all say, well, everybody has different intensity, right? Everybody has a different intensity, and when the intensity increases, then your body cannot handle it. That's when the onset of disease comes into play. You know, obesity is rampant today, and I want to, I don't want to make it. It's it's all it's all in you know food, but the food is playing a major role in in getting our kids fatter today because. The kids have a sedentary lifestyle. They they are eating foods laced with pesticides and fertilizers. They are not able to detoxify it fast enough, and those fat cells are basically getting saturated with all these toxins that your body cannot produce enough glutathione to get rid of it. And so, obesity is rapid. And I, I, please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to make sure that people. Everyone takes glutathione when, when, when the kids are, are a little bit o- overweight. What I'm trying to say is that it's a bigger problem than we think it is. And the problem lies from, from every single thing that we do, our water source, our food source, our, our addiction to the technology, not having having enough exercise. All these things are playing a major role in our society, and we're trying to solve a problem with a drug, with a medication. And we cannot. I can give all the gluten in the world that's still not going to solve the problem that we're still eating food that is not 100% clean.
2: Anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and/or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing, and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com/ionlayer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R, and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get $100 off your first. Order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner code Melanie Avalon for $100 off. So people, for example, on a vegetarian or vegan diet and eating conventional versus organic, for example, how bad could that pesticide exposure be? Like, could people do more damage by eating foods like that?
0: So I became vegetarian about six, seven years ago. And even before that, my meat consumption was not very high to begin with. During my research, when I was working on the glutathione project myself, and I was I was advocating to all my patients to become vegetarian if they have issues, if they have concerns, right? And I don't if you don't have, if you don't have any issues, then you can do whatever you want to do. But if you have a problem, then then let's figure out ways how to minimize the problem. So a lot of my patients, they're pretty well to do patients. They have the personal chefs at the house. A lot of my patients have that, so they can cook whatever they want to, uh, whatever they want to eat, somebody's gonna cook for them. So they have the avenues and the means to make themselves healthy if they choose to do so. And so we went vegetarian, we went organic on at least the dirty dozen, right? There's the those those 12 products that has the highest amount of pesticides and fertilizers into that one. Those, those are if we can avoid those being inorganic, would be a great thing to do. They will All I can tell you is you can minimize the problem, but you cannot get rid of the problem. And so all the tips I have in the book on how to minimize the problem is to eat. The Dirty Dozen cannot be inorganic. has to be organic. If you can try to be a vegetarian, I'm not vegan myself. I should be, but you know what? I love my dairy products so much. So I'm not vegan yet. But yeah, our body processes vegetables fruits and vegetables much much more efficiently than meats and so so being said that meats are 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 okay for a good protein source but the fermentation process that that's how the body eliminates the foods we eat the meats are not supposed to be fermented and so the meats doesn't get fermented in the elimination pathways and so meats can cause a lot of inflammation and when and the water body is inflamed from inside, yes, they, they need glutathione to reduce inflammation down. And so our need for glutathione increases, when, especially when you eat a lot of meats.
2: So can we quantify that with the meat? So is it only after a certain amount of meat that there's that issue with fermentation byproducts?
0: No, no, no. no, no, no. The fermentation is the, is the way. So average human intestines are 21 feet long. And so the food has to go through the 21 feet of processing tube before it comes out the next day, right? So this processing tube, we call it intestines, they process the food by by basically fermenting it. And the fermentation process, it extracts all the nutrients out of it. Meats cannot be fermented. So if it cannot be fermented, it causes inflammation, but basically the body sees this as a foreign object and it starts producing anti-inflammatory markers because the body is getting inflamed because it's trying to see, hey, what is this foreign object into my colon? Let me get rid of it, right? And so the, everybody that, e- even the smallest amount of meat has to have some sort of inflammation inside the body. And local inflammation is okay because the body can deal with it. It's the constant inflammation of your body. That's an issue.
2: Because like vegetables have... Protein as well. So, is there something special about the meat protein that creates that effect compared to vegetable protein?
0: Yeah, the tissues, right? The animal protein. I wish we just eat the proteins. And yes, you can eat the proteins by itself in a form of a shakes and and you know they, they buy the sell those protein shakes, and some are made from animal source and some are made from vegetable source. Those are different because those proteins can be broken down by your body, but not really, because you have to chew to produce the enzymes. So most of the protein shakes that you buy, a good source, will have digestive enzymes built into it. So the digestive enzymes will help break down the proteins to do that. But when we eat the, the meats, what we're really eating is the tissues, the muscles. And so those tissues, yeah, to extract the protein out of there is a little, is a little harder, but at the same time, it's a tissue that's causing the inflammation inside the body.
2: What about the protein is hard, just the way that the proteins are connected? Or like, why is that harder to digest and having that inflammatory effect compared to breaking down, again, like vegetable protein?
0: So vegetable proteins are not that large to begin with. Plus, the vegetable proteins are not a complete protein anyways. So like, for example, if you're going to eat uh, seeds, uh, if you eat a lot of seeds or lentils, then you have to eat some sort of grains like aramith or millet to make and to combine them as as one complete protein. So you're getting the proteins from two different sources to make it a complete protein. But in actuality, there's no complete protein in any animal, uh, in, in any vegetarian diet.
2: So it sounds like there could be issues with breaking down the animal protein. What about with the plants, you know, all of these protective compounds that people talk about, like gluten and lectins and, you know, other compounds that might have an inflammatory potential, are, are they a concern?
0: So those components that are the, in, the inflammatory components, those are genetically modified. And that's the, another issue. That's a whole other can of worm that we can talk all day long on that one too. That's, that thing is completely different because those genetically... Keep in mind today, there's all the fruits and vegetables. There's a whole big gene lab out there looking, trying to perfect the shape, the size, the taste, the color, the texture, everything. They have mapped every fruits and vegetables out there, and they're trying to figure that portion out to see how to get the most... How, how, to, how to get the best-looking fruits and vegetables with the best taste, With the highest amount of nutrients, and they have been genetically modifying those those products to do their part. And by the way, as of yet, we have yet to perfect even one vegetable.
2: I recently interviewed Mark Schatzker, who has a book called "The Dorito Effect" and also "The End of Craving." It's all deep dive into all of that, and it was really really fascinating. So, another question about the dietary choices. So, I was googling, and i I thought I really thought that there would be a lot of studies on this, but I couldn't find. That many studies looking at like vegans versus omnivores and glutathione levels. I did find a few. They were mixed. Like some found that vegans and vegetarians had lower levels. Usually the hypothesis was due to the need for those specific, you know, cysteine and glycine and glutamine.
0: Cysteine is the one. Yep.
2: Some found comparable. So I'm just wondering, like, stepping back, because I know a lot of my listeners eat animal protein inclusive diets and so if you could, you know, buy like regenerative or an organic meats that don't have the potential toxins that go along with that, is meat a good substrate for glutathione because it can have preformed glutathione and the building blocks?
0: It does. And, and you're right about that one. That one, I cannot deny it because vegetarian diet, as much as I, I would love to be on a vegetarian diet myself, I need the cysteine. Cysteine comes with the milk products, right? The whey the way isolates has cysteines is in there. It's hard to get cysteine in your vegetarian diet. You can still get, it, but it's 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 not that easy. So the meat source becomes extremely important for that because those meat sources, there's quite a bit of meat sources. I think it's in my book, all the all the animal proteins that you can take that has that can increase the glutathione level to to be the best. And so it's absolutely necessary to have both. When I do my pros and cons, I have to figure out that I have all the tools in the world, and I had to decide which tools I'm going to use. And so I decided that, hey, since I have, I have already figured out that I can take the glutathione from externally in you know, a topical solution spray form and increase my glutathione level, then I will not need the meat source to increase my glutathione level for that reason. And so I'm just using, using a tool to figure out what's right for me personally. But everybody is different, right? Everybody has to do figure things out for themselves. Some people eat meat because it's not just a good protein source, but it's it's really helped them stay lean and more agile. People, they want to eat a vegetarian diet. They are very frail, and but they're strong, but they're just frail. And they, they look frail, but by all means, they're pretty strong from inside. And so it, it, everybody has a different persona. So I want to make sure that everybody understands that you have to use all the tools that are available to you today to, to make the right choices. I cannot tell you that, hey, oh, one particular diet is going to be good for you or not. What I can tell you is that use the diet as a, as a source for nutrients for your body, right? It's like a, if you buy an expensive car, and on the car it says, unleaded gas only. And what happens if you put a lead gas inside? The car will still function what happens, all the parts inside are going to get lead inside and eventually get clogged up and all all of a sudden the fuel injections are not going to be working and you're going to have this car not function at an optimum speed. And so I wish we have something on on below our nose saying real food only.
2: I'm so glad to hear you say that and because that's the exact mindset I have about everybody finding what works for them personally and realizing that... People exist in this paradigm often where it's like you have to be just carnivore, just vegan, or just this one thing, when maybe you can f- like find the aspects that work together. And maybe, like, I don't think it's bad that if you're vegan and you might need to supplement. A certain amino acid. Like I don't think that means that the vegan diet is bad. It just means that you do something to optimize it. Actually, one of the sites I was looking at, it's literally what you just said. It was looking at the glutathione levels of the different populations and it found that there was a risk for vegans for low glutathione levels, but that lacto ovo vegetarians actually had higher glutathione levels than the omnivores. So there's just like a lot of nuance there. And there's the role of privilege because like with the vegetarian situation, you might have to like supplement to make it the optimal form. But then on the animal side of things, like you might need to get, you know, versions of animal products that aren't conventionally raised due to toxins that might be in there. So it's just, yeah, it's just very nuanced and people have to find what works for them for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I should not be giving diet recommendation at all because I think there's a lot more choices that people have, and people should listen to their own body than any any expert that's out there, and just follow your follow your body. If you think that your that your bowel movements are great, then follow your diet. If you feel that you're healthy and functioning properly and you have high energy, then follow the diet, whatever that is, right? follow the diet. When you talk to any healthcare provider like me, even like me, we are just giving an opinion based on our findings. That is not the truth. Okay. And, and your job as a, as a patient is to find the truth. And you may be asking 10 different people, right? 10, 10 different healthcare provider and getting getting their opinion as to what's right for them. But if I tell them this is the right way and this is the only way, then I'm fooling everybody that's out there. So I, my intention is not to do that at all. I just tell what works for me and it has been working for me. So, so that's all I do. I do like my partner in crime, my, my PhD that, 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 that's with me on this thing. He doesn't need any vegetables.
2: Oh, at all. Is he carnivore? Completely. Completely carnivore?
0: Completely. Right, and he's been that way, and he's he's what, 98 pounds? He's slim as heck. He's in his late 60s, early 70s now. No other health conditions, so to speak. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's how he is. Of course, he's been eating gluten for nine years now, since the day we found out about it. But other than that, no, he's, he's completely carnivore. And his his greens for the day is, is hot chilies.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness I love that well speaking of another question about the food because you list in your book foods that have preformed glutathione in them is that the same situation as oral supplementation like we were talking about earlier where the glutathione would be broken down and then possibly reassembled or when it's in food can it be used as is
0: no they're all going to be broken down and reassembled and so theirs comes by technology so keep in mind, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you a visual, Melanie, right now. I'm going to give you a visual. Let's see. you go out in your car in a hot day and there's scorching sun and you park your car. What you do is you, you, you pull up this, this windshield shade, so to speak, as a small ball. You open it up and it's put on, uh, in the windshield so that there's no sun coming inside the car, right? And when you're done, well, what you do with the shade, you fold it up nicely and put it back inside, right? So think about it, when the glutathione is produced intracellularly, it's like this small ball. As soon as it comes out of the cell, it becomes this windshield uh, shade, uh, big enough. Now, if we cannot fold it back again, it can never go, go back inside. So our technology, what we have done is we've taken the glutathione molecule itself, and in my lab, I basically fold the whole thing down. And Once I fold it down, all of a sudden, it becomes – the technology was not just folding it down. I mean, protein enveloping is is not a common phenomenon. A lot of of companies are doing it today. But folding it down and keeping the integrity of the molecule at a stable format was the the toughest thing that, that I have encountered to do. And then giving it to the body that your body can absorb it and release it back once it's inside. That was a whole new ballgame. It took us four and a half years just to figure that portion out.
2: So the glutathione that is folded down, what's keeping it folded down and why does it unfold when it's back in the body?
0: It's a chemical reaction that happens inside the body that breaks the bonds to unfold it. That's so that We create a complex. It's a chemical complex that we create so it keeps it, it, keeps it holding down and then the enzymes inside your body, it breaks those bonds uh, bonds off and basically make the gluten readily available within within seconds.
2: Is it temperature stable? Is it light stable? So
0: right now it is temperature stable. It is, it is not light stable. We always pack them in an amber bottle and we put them in a box so it's always there. It is stable at room temp, but I don't like to keep it at, 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 at high temps either the stability of the product increases as the milligrams increases. So, I mean, glutathione is is about 200 milligrams per ml, is is the solubility of the product. And then with this complex creation that we have done, we can get up to 500, 600 milligrams in in an ml, a stable format. And as the milligrams increases, the stability also increases because the bonding gets tighter and tighter.
2: Mm, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Can it be, because you sent me some, which was so kind. So thank you. So I've been using it. Can I keep it in the refrigerator?
0: Oh, yes, 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 absolutely. Depends on where you are. If you're in the hottest part on this planet, please keep it at, a, at, at the room temperature, which is 75 or less Fahrenheit, or better yet, just put in the refrigerator. It's kind of cold to apply it, but you know what? It's, it's okay. So... I usually put it, all my spare bottles are always in the refrigerator. And the one that I'm using it, I, put in, I, I I, leave it in my medicine cabinet.
2: I wanted to put it in the refrigerator because it smells very sulfury, And I found that putting it in the refrigerator made it not smell as potent with the sulfur smell.
0: That's true. And the sulfur odor is, is because of thiol group on the glutathione. And so if I remove the thiol group, it reduces all the potency of the glutathione. It's gone. And the so thiol group was was important. I have put a chemical cap on it. So the chemical cap makes it stable from not getting oxidized, but it's not enough to get rid of the smell. It's not a physical cap. I put a chemical cap on it. So with the chemical cap on the thiol group, I was not able to get rid of the smell.
2: Do you think there's the possibility in the future of a technology that would?
0: I have been working on this for, since 2007 now.
2: I believe it.
0: And the formula I created in 2007 and the formula that that you got in 2022 is identical. I have probably done at least between 50 to 100 different variations of this molecule over the years and nothing worked like the one we did the first time.
2: Trying different variations specifically for the sulfur smell or just in general to see how it would work? So
0: there's two things, right? The sulfur smell, the odor that is there, and I cannot change that. And the second part was the stickiness. It's very tacky when you apply it. And so you have to rub it in to let it dry up a little bit. So those are two big challenges I have. Keep in mind, the cosmetic world has trained us that if you put anything on your skin, it has to smell good and feel good. And my product smells like sulfur and it's tacky like glue. And so, my goodness, you have no idea how hard is it to tell people that just use it is good for you. I say, yeah, right. <laughs> but once they use it, then, then, they give the, then they see the benefit of it. They can never unsee that.
2: It's funny because, so I read your book before receiving it, and I was like, I'm sold like <laughs> I got to be using this and then I received it and I, I am still using it every night, but I had definitely had to come to terms with the sulfur smell. I did find, like I said, putting in the refrigerator helped a lot. And for rubbing it in, cause it, it does have that feel. Do you really need to physically rub it in for the effectiveness or is it just for comfort rubbing it in? Just for comfort. Okay. So I don't actually have to rub it in?
0: No, I rub it in everything because even, even it absorbs your palm. So it doesn't really matter. Right? So I spray it on. I, I will rub it in with my palms. And then I have a dog. So the dog loves glutathione. He just so he, he licks off my palms. Lick he licks off my palms. He just waits around. He sits there like a good dog. And as soon as I'm done, he will lick off the glutathione. And so then I wash my hands up. So he gets a little bit. I get a little bit. So if you're both happy,
2: that's so funny. Oh, I love that. And then, okay, so questions about actually using it in that form. When we put it on, is it similar to the IV situation where it has a half-life that's fairly short, or what happens to it?
0: So that's a great question because I can give you a short answer right now, but the real answer is going to come back later this year. when my st- We just got human trials approved by IRB. We were shut down for two and a half, two years almost into this pandemic, and all the IRB at the universities were, were closed. And even though they were approved, they, there was nobody to do research on that one. So we, when we did the original research, which was a short study to apply for the patents, what we found out was that the half-life of this product was anywhere from four to six hours after a after single-dose application and... Inside your red blood cells, not your not just not just plasma, in your red blood cells. So that's what we measured.
1: Okay, friends.
2: You guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine, and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits. The longest-lived populations drink wine. The polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss.
1: All right, now back to the show.
2: That's impressive. So, 4 to 8 hours. Does that mean that you should be I know on the bottle it says every 8 hours or so.
0: I I recommend twice a day, and I have my reasonings behind that one because according to the current study, you should be using every 4 hours, but I if you do all the if you do all the calculations as how your body processes this medication and at the rate of uh, elimination as and also counting into how much of it is going to be GSSG molecule versus conjugation pathways. If I do all those calculations, I figured out that if you use it twice a day, I can literally get anybody, well, not, not, not anybody, I would say more than 80% of the population, I can probably get them on a steady state in between four to six months. Now, everybody anybody who has a chronic issue a, a acute issue and wants to use it every four hours for a few days to get to the problem, they have done this part part two. So most of our doctors then they treat their patients for multiple reasons. They'll put them on every four hours for two days and then twice a day thereafter so that the acute problem is gone and then they are put in a maintenance dose for six months. And after six months, I believe, and I, I, I think the test will tell us more detail. But if if we did, the, if we extrapolate that information out, that eighty percent of the people after six months can get away with it once a day using and still have a have a significant growth at levels up to the high normal area. So that's what we that's what we are hoping to have one day is to sell sort of a maintenance dose. But you said right now, right? You had to come terms to it. But if you just rub it in. The smell goes away within a couple of minutes, too.
2: Yeah, I've definitely, I've integrated it into my my routine. I was wondering, would there be any different effect or would it even matter? I do an infrared sauna session every night. Would you suggest doing it before or after, or does it not really matter?
0: After, because sauna is also creating oxidative stress. Mild, right? Sauna is a mild one. I hope you're not doing infrared. Is it infrared or, or hard? Infrared. So infrared is, you cannot do too long either because that is actually sending frequency to create oxidative stress. Little stress is good for you. It's the it's the overexposure to stress is not good for you, right? So while you, if you're doing for 10, 15 minutes, I hope no more than that.
2: I do a long session every night, like like an hour. Oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> okay, and I'm not sure what the intensity is, but uh, we can talk about that one too. But if you, if you are doing that long of a session, then what you're getting is you're getting a lot of oxygen stress afterwards. So during, so during the session, you're getting all the benefit. As soon as the session is over, you should spray the glutathione on right away, and it will quench all the additional free radicals, whatever you can, and make it into a GSSG molecule. And then if you, if you take your vitamin Cs in the morning, that GSSG molecule can go back to make glutathione again.
2: Okay. That is interesting. That's what I've been doing. I've been doing the glutathione right after that, so... I know the dosage is four sprays. If you do more sprays, do you get more of a benefit?
0: Absolutely. So, uh, like all my clients that are that have more money than they can ever dream of, they think that oh, this is only hundred twenty bucks, but the plus is two hundred bucks. I said, no, you only need the regular stuff. You don't need the two. You turn off. Is it going to hurt me? I said, no, it's not going to hurt you, but you're just wasting money. Oh, I got plenty of that, right? So that's the reason they come up. So we have done studies. To do two sprays, I'm talking about the regular glutaril, okay? Done two sprays, four sprays, eight sprays, 12, 16, and 20. So this is the thing we have done. What we found out was four sprays at a time gave you the best cost-benefit increase in your bloodstream of the glutathione level. that, That taking more, it doesn't justify double the cost. I'm the first one to tell you that if you have a problem, if the doctor tells you that you need a lot of glutathione, most of my products are recommended by physicians anyways. So we work with doctors all over the country. So they will come and tell me and say, hey, this person, this person, how much glutathione do I need? And so I do work with your physicians if they have any questions. And, And so those people will tell them that, hey, Go on a high dose temporarily for maybe three months or four months. Once the symptoms are under control and they do a follow up blood tests or they do some ultrasounds and things like that to figure out any issues they have, then they can go back to the regular dosages. But typically, four sprays, which is, which is the best cost-benefit ratios you can ever have. So if you're doing it, I recommend four sprays. And if you want to do more, do more often. Do like every four hours instead of eight sprays once a day. I'd rather do two four sprays twice. It will get you more benefit than eight sprays once a day.
2: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And as far as where you put it, will it have a systemic effect regardless? Will it also have a more acute effect for that wherever you put it? Like if I put it on my face.
0: Yes. So a lot of my my female clients they put, apply on the face they get twofer, right they get a skin tightening effect immediately on the face and they also get uh, facial rejuvenation while the gluten is getting to the skin so they get they, they get two fur apply on the face a lot of my athletes they also apply on the joints sometimes too and so they apply on the joints so the joint gets a little bit of more tension at that time and so it helps with that as well but yeah it doesn't matter what's part of the skin you apply to. And people always say, "Oh, if you apply on the thinner part of the skin, is it absorbs better or not?" No, this is a this is a water soluble product. It doesn't use the lipid layer under your skin to absorb this product at all. It uses the water channels of of, of your skin to, to to do that part. So it doesn't matter, thick skin, thin skin. It has to be skin though, unfortunately. It cannot be no skin. Anywhere you apply the skin is going to get absorbed through the water channels.
1: Oh
2: wow! So I could put it like on my feet. Yeah. Oh wow! I'm gonna put it on my face. I'm gonna see what that's like. That's exciting. Speaking of the face, because you have a whole chapter and section on the skin, why is glutathione often thought of as whitening or brightening?
0: Well, the thing is, there's a mechanism of action for glutathione. It affects the melanin production and 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 helps with the and that's the that's a far stretched one. That's why in the world, there's a lot of people are injecting glutathione in the world. But not a single country, not even one, has approved glutathione for injections for skin lightening uh, or brightening or whitening because it, it, it really affects your melanin at those very, very high doses at a very short amount of time. Right. So the low dosages, if you apply it, what it really does, it, it helps cleans out your liver. Keep in mind, when you have high stress, when, when your stress level is really extremely high, your skin gets darker. And when your skin gets darker, if it's like really dark, that's the, what we call it, Addison disease, right? Because somebody has a adrenal insufficiency and cortisol levels are completely gone and the skin gets really, really dark, it's adrenal insufficiency. But more than just the adrenal issues, the skin also gets darker when your, when your liver is taxed. And, th- and the glutathione is produced highest in the liver because liver is the one, it's the it's a detox house of, of, of your whole body. So a- as soon as you give glutathione, the liver gets more efficient, and hopefully the skin gets lighter to your natural color. Now, if you're an African American, I cannot make it Caucasian. There's no way, okay? Or if you're an Indian descent, my, my skin is brown skin. I cannot I cannot make it completely light go away. And if I do that, it, it requires a high dose of glutathione and it's, I'm playing with fire now. So it's not the healthiest way to do that part. The healthier way to do is, is low dose. Whatever shade you get it, it's, it's what you're going to get it.
2: And if it's reducing melanin and having that effect, is that actually making your skin more susceptible to sun damage?
0: It can, yes. And that's why, That's why, as I said, low dose is all you need. So when you give a two grams of IV push versus my four sprays, typically roughly about 100, 104 milligrams only, you're getting 20 times more dosage in the IV push. So that's the that's my beef. That's my beef, right? Why give so much? And in the, in the theory for the physician, is that hey, your body's not observing anyway, so I only have for 15 minutes, I would give the biggest bang for the buck for 15 minutes.
2: Right, but it's still in and out.
0: It's still it's a lot. It's a lot. And so, and people, they, they take this IV shots, uh, shots for skin lightening like once a week for months, right? And so, that, that to me is, is not right for long term. We, we don't do things for the right reason. If your skin is darker because of some, you have toxins in your liver, or because your adrenal insufficiency, we can fix those parts, right with something else. We don't have to take glutathione for that one. But but the uh, but the flip side is that I also have a skincare line, and the reason I have a skincare line is because guess what? The same technology, I can take all the antioxidants in the world, shrunk them into the small balls, put them into one cream and give it to you. And so the skin condition doesn't like me right now. They don't, because I don't believe in five different products. I just want to give you one. has everything you can.
2: What about, you talk in the book about the S form of glutathione?
0: S-acetylglutathione. And so this, this is an acetylated form of glutathione. So what they have done is that, since glutathione is, is very hard to keep stable, they, what they have done is they have combined them with the acetyl group to make it stable. Just because it's stable doesn't mean it's absorbed in your skin. And that's where the problem lies, right? Acetyl S-acetyl glutathione, is, is out in the market today. And the thing is, it doesn't get absorbed through your skin. In fact, the glutathione molecule is so large that it can never go through any parts of your skin.
2: But so, But the S-form, you're saying it is... It's just stable.
0: It's, it's stable inside the outside the body, so it doesn't, get, it doesn't get oxidized very fast. So chemically, it's a great product because it looks good in the bottle. It looks clean. It looks looks white, and you know it's like it's it's a good looking product. But it stays on the surface of your skin. It doesn't get into your skin.
2: So what was the part about it possibly crossing the blood brain barrier?
0: When you take it orally. It's basically, it's, it's a stable form of glutathione, right? And what the, again, we're assuming that it's crossing the blood brain barrier, but glutathione is not a glutathione. We still haven't figured out how the glutathione gets clipped and acetyl group has is, is been released and the glutathione has been absorbed. That part, um,
2: we haven't figured out if that happens or how it happens? If and how. Oh, okay. Interesting. So we're just kind of guessing that it's working, that form?
0: Exactly. And chemically stable product, right? We take so much product in, in our body that we don't even know how it, how it performs, right? I, I mean, I, I also do a lot of hormone replacement therapy for a lot of my male, male and female patients. Like for female patients, all your hormones are produced in your ovaries, right? But yet, when you, when you, get, a proge- when you get an estrogen or progesterone cream, where do you apply it? On your wrist. Well, ovaries are not on your wrist. How do you know that from your wrist is it going to get to your breast tissue or uterine tissue or
2: better yet, your brain? How do we know that's happening? Is it because that's using the lipid channel? And so we don't...
0: It's using the lipid channel. So it's a passive diffusion. So we know it's diffusing to your fat cells. And then how does it... Get, is it going to the bloodstream? Is it going to the lymphatic system? How is it getting absorbed all of the body? And if it's going through the wrist, if it's going through the wrist... How do I know that it's going to end up in the uterus or end up in the breast tissue where it needs to be at or end up in the brain where it needs to be really f- fast because I, I, have, I have foggy memory, right? And they need this hormones now. How do I know that it's getting there? And if we go apply to the wrist, what are the chances of, of, of it going through the wrist has side effects versus applied through the ovaries?
2: The distinguishing factor here, with your version, because it's using the water channel, it goes systemic. But when it's the lipid channel, we don't know. It might just be staying right there.
0: We don't know. We just don't know.
2: Wow. Have they done studies on like putting the progesterone like as close to your ovaries as you can? Yep. And does it have a bigger effect?
0: Yes, they do. That's the reason I'm saying that part, right? So when you apply as close to ovaries as possible... As a medical community, we don't, know, we don't know hardly that much. We think we know know that much, but we don't, right? Just because you take an oral pill doesn't mean it's going to get to the way it's supposed to get to. And if it gets to that place, how much is it going to get there? And where else is it going to go that we're not supposed to go there, right? If you have infection, let's say if you have a UTI infection and you take an oral tablet it's going to go to the whole body and kill every bacteria and, your bacter- and, and, and the bacteria in, in, the, uh, in, in your urine tract, right? Why can we target this thing? So for the hormones, they have the necessity for target. They have found out that if you get close, as close to the organs as possible, there is less hormones required, better efficacy, and less side effects.
2: Nobody's really talking about that. No, no. We can talk
0: about that one too because... That's something else that I... That, that's that's what I do full-time for all my patients.
2: I'm assuming you have patients using progesterone. Do you have them put it closer to their ovaries?
0: So I put them either in a, in a labia or vaginal. Depends on the volume. If it's if the volume is too big, then it has to go intravaginally. If it's, the volume is not that big, because we can make it into a small volume, then up into the inner labia, just a drop of it. Absorption is fantastic. The, it's as close to ovaries as possible. The absorption is better. And the results you can predict the results, and the, most of the doctors I work with, they will do a before after blood test, and they can really get the results that what they're looking for
2: instantaneously. Wow, and would that be specific to the ovary situation or people who are using progesterone for like sleep and things like that?
0: That's capsules usually because now for sleep you're looking to you're not looking for progesterone. What you're looking for is a metabolism of progesterone. And yes, you can get the metabolites of progesterone through the topical channel, but it takes a little bit longer, versus if you take it orally, it goes straight to the liver and breaks everything down the progesterone and makes it LA apregnolone which binds to GABA receptors, makes you fall asleep. So, so yeah, that's a different me- Again, using the same hormone differently because you're targeting different things.
2: What about the suppository mechanism or route for different things? Does it have a systemic effect?
0: Yes, oh, absolutely. So any, any mucosal membrane absorption has, a, uh, has an immediate systemic effect.
2: And people will often say that coffee enemas increase glutathione production. Is there any science to that? Do you know?
0: I have not tried that part. I am, I'm not a big fan of enemas because I've
2: never tried one. And coffee, I, I don't know yet. In the coffee enema world, they'll say that it increases glutathione production. So I don't know.
0: I have a better product that can raise a glutathione like this, like this, then why go through the hassle and, and aggravation of doing something that is going to be affecting something else? I don't know yet. Why. Uh, if, if, yeah, but the thing is all this, all this therapy exists. You know why? Because until now there was no good way or correct way to increase glutathione levels ever been discovered. Now that we have it, we can get rid of all these myths of ways to improve glutathione levels, and just do it immediately. And literally, you can spray it on, and forty-five minutes later, do a blood test. Go to the doctor, do a blood test, and see the before-after results immediately. You don't have to. You don't have to wait for weeks and months. You can do it today in forty-five minutes.
2: You mentioned doing a blood test. Does it matter? I mean are there issues to testing like not taking into account all the different forms of glutathione and what can we actually learn from testing our levels
0: So so there's there's a normal range for glutathione and so between, between 5 to 980 millimoles per liter and so that's a normal range and most of the adults are in the in the low fibers or below 500s, and so the key is to, can we get to 900 and st- Keep it that way for longer periods of time. It's not just one-time deal, right? And so what what we do is we measure the glutathione levels and you can only do a spot check, right? You cannot you, you want to make sure that the glutathione levels is stable enough for, for whatever you want to measure it, because if if it's a short half-life, then you want to measure it like when it's at the peak uh, levels. So when we did our study, we we applied the glutathione levels, we measured it every 15 minutes for the first hour. And then every hour after that, until for six hours to so see what the levels were. And, and so that's how we found out that it stays in the body for at least six hours. The peak plasma level was at 45 minutes to an hour in between. And so when you, when you take a liposomal form of glutathione, the levels are not going to increase immediately because the body has to break down these amino acids, make those products back into the glutathione, and it takes weeks, if not months, to increase improve the glutathione level when your needs are today and now.
2: Okay. And this is all in the book, listeners. You've got to get the book to learn even more, but you talk about all of the health conditions that might relate to glutathione levels. So, you know, if listeners get your product and are using it, what should they expect to see? Like, should they use it for very specific conditions? Just how can they monitor, besides like, you know, testing the actual levels? Like, what should they expect to experience?
0: Absolutely. So everybody's going to be different, right? Everybody, everybody manifests oxidative stress in some shape or form. And honestly, I do not know how they're going to feel. What, what I do know is that you give it a shop for 30 days, it's a 100% money back guarantee because I don't want to, I, I never want anybody's money for trying the product and if it does not working for them. Even if you use the full bottle, if you don't like it for smell or texture, whatever, you're not going to buy it ever again. I don't want you to pay for it, that bottle either. And one thing that I do notice for people that I get the most of is they see an increase in energy in the first 30 days. That's a, that's like almost unanimous is what I hear from everybody, that they see an increase in energy. Other than that, everybody are going to get different results. Everybody is. Because a stress manifests in a particular human being in literally hundreds and hundreds of different ways. And that was the reason why I put this book out because I've tried on so many different things and we have got so many different stories from physicians themselves. And we have interviewed all the physicians that we have worked with and to tell their stories because even they were skeptical. I said, well, I've lit literature that glutathione will help with reducing the sludge in your in your blood. I said, Well, doctor, do you want to try it? I said, What? I got a whole bunch of patients with high triglyceride levels. Let me try it. And so the doctor did the, they, did the trial themselves, and they they got the results they're looking for. And then so we we interviewed the doctor and, and put their story inside. Because at the end of the day, glutathione is in every cell in the body. It helps reduce oxygen stress, it helps reduce the toxic overload and how it helps you physically and mentally and chemically, I cannot tell you that part. And so you just have to experience that part. You just have to experience it.
2: Okay. Well, (laughs) it's just so interesting. Like I said, I was not using your glutathione. I read the book, I hadn't even tried it yet, and I was like, I've got to start using this. And now, even especially after this conversation, I'm pretty much sold, so I'm going to be using it for life. So listeners, I definitely recommend trying it, adding it to your routine. Like Dr. Patel said, seeing how you react, but really nothing to lose. And I'm just so grateful to you that you're doing this because... I mean, this is such an important thing. And like you said, nobody's done this before. So thank you. I mean, I'm glad to be alive now that that this is available. So where can listeners get the book, get the glutathione? Where can they go for that?
0: Absolutely. So thank you for having me today. I, I had such a good pleasure talking about this thing because this is my passion and anything I can do to help my patients thrive not just survive thrive in the life that's, that's what my that's what i want to see i want to i want to go someplace and people recognize me and say hey you know what thanks for the glutathione because now i can i can i can enjoy my life and i can travel the world so that's what i want to do i want to do for everybody they give if they want more information go to my website it's, it's aurowellness.com it's a u r o wellness.com all the information is on there the product is on there the books they can get the books at the favorite bookstore. Everybody has this book. They can buy the audiobook or Kindle or Hard Copy. I'm old school. I love hard copy books only. I have the books on my on my website as well. So you can pick a book at any any of the bookstores you have online.
2: Awesome. Well, the very last question that I ask every single guest on this show, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for?
0: So today, so I write my gratefuls every single day. So in today's, I'm grateful that I am here today with you speaking and reaching the world.
1: Awesome. Well, I love that
2: so much. I as well. I'm so grateful to you Dr. Patel. Like I said, it's incredible that you're doing this, that you, you know, took it upon yourself to find a way to make this accessible to people. I just think it's so so important. Yeah, this is just amazing. So thank you so much for what you're doing and I'm super excited to see the future of of everything that you do.
0: Absolutely. There's there's a lot more things we can, we have to do in life and I want to make sure that I can help people Heal from within and not be stuck to some sort of medications for life.
1: I love that. Well, thank you. And fight on.
0: Oh, fight on. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting and Wine. As well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com And always remember, you got this.